We're turning now to uh, Philip Heath. Philip um, is drawing on his experience at Barker College in New South Wales. And uh, Philip's been doing a lot of thinking about, you know, what it means to lead successful learning in a changed world. And, uh, and I'm going to, again, not extend the introduction. You've seen Philip's bio and uh, his abstract. So I'm going to hand over to Philip now. Thank you. Um, could I acknowledge as we begin that uh, I'm very honoured to be in such a, an august assembly of great speakers and congratulations to ACEL yet again for nailing a great, great response to this challenging time. Um, I'm speaking to you from the land of the Darug people. Uh, so in their language, Watami Mitagar, uh, it is good to see you all, my friends. Uh, could I honour the work of educators in Australia and elsewhere around the world uh, at this very difficult and challenging time. Um, the intent of the next uh, 15 minutes or so is to explore a response to uh, this current context, draw out some themes particularly relating to change and how change is to be imagined uh, and what we've learned and what we're still learning. Because uh, I would venture to suggest that we're not through it yet. Uh, there is uh, still the risk of further change and challenge ahead of us. A little while ago, I read this wonderful book, uh, Rutger Bregman's fabulous book on Utopia for Realists, and I thought, that, look, it should be a standard issue to all Year 12s, all educators, um, everybody in the universities, um, particularly the politicians, to imagine new ways of delivering hope-filled future. Um, but I wonder if he was writing it again, whether it would be the same now. Um, what has changed this year? Um, an enormous amount has changed. Um, we began the year, as, as was mentioned uh, by Barbara, with fires. We moved then into the pandemic and the uncertainty of what reality means. Where is our source of truth? Who is writing the story that we need to follow this year? Um, and so a few things that emerged in my view, very quickly and is still emerging, blended learning is a necessity. Um, we've needed to learn and learn fast about new ways of delivering content and connection um, and be ready at a moment's notice to make changes to that. Um, secondly, I think uh, we've learned this year, um, as if we didn't know it before, that well-being belongs to everybody uh, always. It's not just the responsibility of the pastoral care teachers or the welfare department or our school nurses, that actually it belongs to everybody. Again, echoing what Barbara said, know your students and know them well. Um, we're beginning to wonder about the purpose of test scores and rankings when we're able to do without them this year uh, and or when uh, uh, even our ATAR system uh, in Australia anyway has been um, undermined um, by the uncertainties of public testing. And then finally, um, we've learned this year that the future can no longer be predicted, uh, even in terms of professions, even in terms of, of vocations and careers that we might have once thought were certain and secure pathways. And in my view, that's unsettling the very purposes of education. To some extent, what you're about to hear is a personal view on all of these four things. Um, 
I, I began the first three months of this year with an enormous sense of frustration. What could we control in an uncontrolled setting? In an uncertain time, what could be made certain? How could we create some certainty that would give them confidence and security about going forward? So what we did actually was probably a bit naughty. I asked lots of state and federal ministers, bureaucrats and politicians um, for permission. And uh, I think reluctantly they gave it. We, we've reinvented our whole year. Uh, we pulled time from later in the year. We changed the school um, holidays around. That was very annoying for some of our families who had children in several different schools. Um, so we actually, today, as I'm speaking to you, we're in the last day for year 12. Um, so if there's a sudden boom crash and some people rush through the door to kidnap me and cart me off to the farewell assembly, you'll understand what's going on. It won't just be technical difficulties that time. So we've done a lot of things that, that changed. Um, that was a risky thing. We then shifted into online, did a survey of students, and then worked out that online experience, as much as Barbara was saying, is not simply a pale imitation of what you're doing during the day, but all that being done at home. We actually tried to change the entire shape of the day online. What you're seeing on the screen there is uh, what we did for our middle year students. We had one similarly for our uh, junior school or primary school age children. And this is our senior school routine. And we asked the children to follow this routine um, in a way to emphasize well-being and uh, enjoyment of learning, but also get some movement and time away from screen. Um, we actually even ventured to put in some uh, household chores uh, built into the day-to-day -day program. Uh, that went down very well with parents. Uh, the students ignored that bit um, and we didn't assess it. Um, so how did we then use any time that we actually gained from the program? So during the online period, um, we actually extended the Easter break to five weeks and asked the students to do a personal interest project in different parts of the school expressed in different ways. Australia, as you know, has just come out of uh, or is coming out of a drought. We had been using water to extinguish fire. We're facing what is almost universally accepted to be a climate emergency. Water and how water is understood, not just from a scientific viewpoint, but a, from a thriving viewpoint, was then used as uh, a kind of theme around a personal interest project style response to the notion of water. There were three different ways in which that could be done, individual, with group or with families. And then we asked the students to uh, do an exhibition to present their work at the end of the five weeks. And the results were uh, breathtaking and beautiful. Um, we didn't just do it as a stock filler, but we, we wanted to actually get the kids to uh, really engage with some agency around a big idea that could draw knowledge together with some purpose um, in that context of real doubt. So this was um, um, March, April, May that we did that. Um, so what were the findings? Uh, we did some action research on how the students felt about what they had experienced. And there were some very telling findings that I'd like to share. Um, most of the students, most of the time, felt okay 
about their capacity to learn independently in a remote setting. But interestingly, the students who felt the most concerned were our older students. I might have predicted the opposite. What was going on then for our older students? The experience of, say, completing work and accessing content. You would have thought that the older students would have a greater sense of self-efficacy and agency, but the findings of this survey were the reverse. I don't know whether that was just unique to us, but it's what we discovered. I have a little thesis as to why that is. In my view, it's partly because with an external assessment model, students feel very anxious and need a lot of teacher direction to be assured that they're on the right track to achieve well at the assessments. And that's something that I think it's probably coming out of this pandemic that's worth testing further. Is that what we really want from an educated child at the end of year 12? Dependency upon the expert who will tell them what the arcane truths about the assessment really might be. The learning process, students generally felt pretty good. Let's go into the well-being area. And again, quite interesting findings in the well-being space. There were 1,445 respondents to the survey, so it's quite a lot. This was only secondary school age students. Typically speaking, the younger you were, the more you felt comfortable about who you were during the course of the survey. There was a strong feeling of pleasure about returning to school and satisfaction about that. But interestingly, a small number of people absolutely loved um, remote learning. I won't venture to say why, but they probably are personality types who struggle um, with the kind of social contract of what a school is supposed to be. Mixed views on anticipation about the future. Most were feeling okay, lots were neutral, some were not particularly looking forward to what lies ahead. Some high numbers of people feeling anxious about the return to school. We tried to shape our response um, to well-being and reconnection informed by this data. Feeling of being able to work at their own pace and time, both now and in remote settings, um, again, figures that uh, wouldn't, you'd want them to be higher than that when they had almost complete agency. Progress on learning was fascinating. You'll notice that the year 11 and 12 students, the high, the no and maybe category were quite, was quite high compared to the yes category. What was all of that telling? And then we looked at well-being. Now, there's a lot of data on this slide, but it simply says that the younger you were, the more likely you are to be feeling okay. The younger you were, the more likely you were to be feeling good about the, the future of uh, at least 2020. And the, the younger you were, the more likely you were to be confident in your own ability. Interestingly, this one here, we asked our students, if year 11 and 12 was offered as partially or fully online course, would you consider taking it? Um, quite mixed feedback there. So as we sift through what does this mean for education, 
And I, I share this because um, we've got two little remote Aboriginal schools and uh, if everything works well for us, there'll be a third one up in East Arnhem Land next year. Um, so student agency uh, is something that we're all searching for as part of the story of what a successful school looks like and what an educated child looks like going into the tertiary sector. Are we on the right track? Have, is, has this pandemic taught us anything? Seems to me that education should equip us for an uncertain future. The uncertainty now seems to be part of that VUCA new normal that we are all talking about. But we really do need to go a little further than I think our system is providing. I'm minded of Ken Robinson's uh, remarks and we think a lot about Ken's legacy uh, but his remarks to suggest that we do need a new narrative, uh, one that sets us free and rather than limits us. And yet at the same time, we are serving a population that is, is preeminently conservative, concerned with efficacy of students and concerned with um, being able to cross-reference school-based performance with performance um, Elsewhere, my view is all schools should be looking to deliver three things for their year 12s and going into the tertiary sector, um, confidence, character and capacity. Um, and how are we going to do that? I want to just finish with sharing this rather complex attempt, something we've been working on since about 2018. There's a lot more work to go on. Um, but a teaching and learning framework that covers from kindergarten to year 12 that uses the notion of helix or spiral where you return constantly to embed the skills but at age-appropriate ways and know what you're trying to achieve in your students by the time they finish and the kind of citizen that we're then, if you will, handing on. Core skills in literacy, numeracy, scientific reasoning, communication, but more skills in the heart and in the soul and in the hope and the caring for the world that lies ahead of them, embedding gratitude and a sense of service and a vision for not just your own prosperity, though that's always a good outcome for anybody, but actually what are you going to do that the world really needs? And this was the, the last thing that I, I leave you with, Martin, is an attempt to say, well, schooling is, is not just about one thing after another. It, it is about repeating exercises and experiences. This is a graphic that attempts to draw values, learning, out-of-classroom experiences all into a, a, almost the narrative of journey. My point is simply this. If this year has taught us anything, it's it's not what we expected it would teach, that our oldest ones, strangely, are more dependent upon us than probably we intend or we should have. They want to know from a supportive teacher whether they're on the right track. We also know that our students love to be connected to each other. They love to engage together. Learning is ultimately a social experience, not simply for your own prosperity, but for the growth of others around you, not just your own. And then finally, I think we should be brave enough to attempt a new metaphor, 
one that's probably not simply defined by success in terms of NAPLAN, ATAR, and numbers of students who matriculate to higher level courses, whatever that might be, but one where our students have a hope-filled, grateful and expectant life in their contribution to the world beyond. There's a lot in all of that, Martin. It's an imperfect attempt to express what we're trying to do. It's one school's effort. Brilliant. Thank you, Philip. Thank you very much. Uh, look, and your point about an imperfect attempt, I think, just recognises the complexity in which we're working, right? So you want to get perfection when something's simple and clearly the work that we're doing isn't simple. So um, I really enjoyed your uh, talk and the, I mean, some of the key messages there around, you know, the purpose of schooling and education. One of the questions that we've got is about, um, you know, you've clearly learned a lot and reflected on um what happened around the disruption and your response to the remote learning. You talk quite a lot there about student agency in that process as well. What aspects uh, from the, the, that disruption, what you learned, what are you going to bring back to your kind of, your, the new normal when you're back on campus? Yeah, great question. Clearly, um, some uh, continued use of blended learning um, will be essential. Um, Secondly, we want to actually use some of the data that we've been able to gather to focus how wellness goes uh, and how we can structure consciously and intentionally how to ensure that the students' needs are being met. Thirdly, we want to disaggregate those needs from student need, if you will, from dependency. Um, so um, encourage particularly our older learners that you can thrive even if we're not certain that in New South Wales terms, the HSC will proceed. Um, the number of students who fed that back as a major demotivator really worried me. Um, they were not sure what the system would require of them. Um, if we could disaggregate that and, and celebrate learning just for its own sake, doing good things in your learning for its own sake, to use Barbara's language, pursuing rigour because it's really good and actually will equip you for a world that we don't yet know about and can't predict. That's got to be a plus. I guess the last thing that I would add is uh, it's, a, it's an important takeaway for me. Listen caref really carefully to what the teachers are saying. Listen more closely to the lived experience of the classroom teacher through these days uh, and, and be less about solving everybody's problem and more about letting people find agency for themselves. Mm, fantastic. Um, there's a question uh, from Amanda. She's asking about um, essentially that, that kind of that what would have to be true question that I was asking about. What would have to be true to make this happen? Are you confident that... Uh, education in Australia can respond at a, in a, a system level to what we've learned from 2020? And, you know, what should we be advocating for? What can we as yeah. educational leaders do? Yeah, a few months ago, I was beginning to be concerned that after all of this was done, we would sit down and say, well, what, what just happened? Because 2021 will look like 2019 did. And I think as a people as a group of educators, we'd all be disappointed if that was the case. Somehow or other, we need that new story. We need to work on that together. 
Um, but I am fearful that the default will be to go back to the security and familiarity of the narrative of test scores at critical times to give the community confidence that we're educating our children correctly. Um, somehow we've got to do both. I don't think it's binary. I think we actually have to do both. Um, and I, I think the, the key probably lies in knowing what our intentions are and pursuing those and then using some of the big data ideas to know whether you're on track. I do fear, however, Martin, that given the, the kind of uh, political economic compact um, that we all experience and benefit from in many ways, um, we'll struggle with this. And it's the profession itself that needs to take the lead. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, it's just, uh, we're all uh, all talking about you know how do we get students to thrive when we're predicting some, um, youth unemployment around the twenty percent mark. What does that mean for our students and their how the education is going to support them to to ride that out? We were you've talked a little bit about well being, and of course, well being is almost it's, it's not a thing that we do. It's a it's it's cultural, but we as leaders we do have actions to enable that culture to grow and develop. Um, you know, what can you do? What, what have you done as a, as a leader to ensure that well-being permeates across the school? And you're probably doing that anyway. Is there anything kind of specific around our current situation um, that has perhaps changed the way that you might uh, act to develop that culture in your school? Yeah, well, thanks, Martin. My, my background is a, is a history teacher. So um, I've been reminding our students a lot this year that, that actually – we're not the first or the only ones to have experienced this level of disruption. A hundred years ago, they did. Um, um, we're not frightened that we'll go to war um, mercifully. We, we, we don't face the ravages of a decade-long depression um, and the conflict that it took to get from that point to a new future. My, my point is that to set a context um, and a narrative around, we, we, we've got this, humanity is going through seismic change, but you know what, we've done that before and we, we can get through this. Um, and the fact that we've got two or even three significant crises just tests our mettle further, but, but not from a point of view of defeatism um, or negativity. In fact, we should look back on this day with a sense of gratitude that notwithstanding the difficulties that we've faced, we've come through stronger and the capacity of humans to imagine a better way forward gives me a great deal of optimism. I think actually we can teach gratitude, we can teach compassion, and we can train the mind for service routinely um, and mapping that with, with experiences that allow students to be caught out doing good as often as you can, and to use Barbara's picture, reflect it back like a mirror back to the community. Aren't we doing well because of this? Not that we're better than everyone else. I, I resent that me message. What does that mean? It's, it's, a, it's a sham to, to speak that way. But we can do this. We've got this. And we'll find ways forward. Let's do that together. Yeah, fantastic. Philip, you're in quite an interesting position. I know that, you know, the different campuses, different schools that you have are not quite the same, but you've got a school there with an Ixia pushing 1,200 and a school that's almost a, a, an Ixia of 800. Have you seen some um, similarities across that quite broad range? Or are <laughs> I'm thinking about particularly about student agency. 
great question. Do you know what the the uh, little community of uh, eight the students of eight eight hundred um, actually did really well. They were really really strong. Um, they were generally more optimistic, um, more calm, uh, more um, supportive. Um, reasonably speaking, less anxious, more connected with each other, and a so much more buoyant view about what the future might hold. Um, I don't understand why that is, um, but the, the contrasts were really noticeable. Um, whether it's the indigeneity kicking in and how family works and connects, uh, not to suggest that it didn't have its challenges. It doesn't. It did and it still does. But um, um, there was a really fascinating discourse about how the two communities were coping. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fascinating, as you say, to uh, to have that kind of range uh, within your uh, within your leadership. Thank uh, you. Philip, I think, uh, you know, the, the, some of the themes that you've talked about, the kind of new narrative and the... Uh, some of the challenges for us, particularly as a profession in terms of education uh, leaders and and educators, I think that's been a, a really strong message um, that we've got, and lots of hope I think for us that you know the system will have to change in order to create the space to be able to do that. And I think your message around student agency is really very well received as well. Thank you very much uh, for uh, sharing um, that with us. There's been a lot of um, love on the chat line and on the questions and answers around um, some of the work that you've been doing. Uh, people have been asking about the spiral helix and some of those things. So, but I'm hoping that your slides will be available for, for sharing with people. Sure. Yeah, it'd be honoured. Thanks, man. Great stuff. Thanks, Philip.